welcome everybody to Real People of Orange County. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba. I'm filling in for Kimberly today, and I uh, want to let you know that she'll be back next week, the first day of spring. Happy Norus to everybody, and I'm feeling the verve of people getting finished with finals on my way down here. Today, I've really packed a show. First is State Brady Campaign President Chair, Dr. Dallas Stout, and the second half I'm bringing on four people who've got a lot of skin in how we deal with the autistic spectrum. The recent New Yorker article about Peter Lanza has given us a lot to talk about. We'll be right back. Won't you stay tuned? Thank you, everybody, for staying with me here on Real People of Orange County, here on Radio KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. My first guest today is Dr. Dallas Stout, president of the California chapter of the Brady Campaign for the Prevention of Gun Violence. And I so wish we had engineers uh, doing these shows with us so that I could take people's questions. But since I'm the one in Studio A on my lonesome, we won't have that chance. I hope that we do get to the essence of what listeners are leaning closer and closer to the speakers about today. As I said earlier, I'm uh, substituting for Kimberly Martin, and I'll uh, do, uh, I hope, uh, her... Uh, justice with uh, the format that she's so lovely prepared here over the last several years. So on our show today, as I said, is Dr. Dallas Stout, who uh, is with the Brady Campaign for the Prevention of Gun Violence, the umbrella for 25 chapters throughout the state. Dallas Stout served on the Orange County Chapter Board for 10 years prior to his appointment with the statewide board. Dallas Stout's extensive resume includes nearly 25 years of work within the Southern California nonprofit community in programs dealing with developmentally disabled adults and residential drug treatment. Currently, Dr. Stout operates with his wife, their own business, Dr. S. Nonprofit Consulting. He's also on the faculty of Cal State Fullerton, as well as the University of the Rockies, where Dr. Stout gets the time to contribute to other organizations like OC Problems of Addiction and Labor Management, the Orange County Wellness Coalition, uh, uh, LA Call Inc., uh, OC, Orange County Safe from the Start Coalition, the National Eagle Scout Association, and the Fullerton, as well as this Cal State Fullerton's Community Emergency Response Teams, is beyond my grasp. He's earned his uh, associate's degree at Cypress Junior College, his BS at, Calif- at Cal State Fullerton, and both his MA and doctorate in clinical psychology at the Azusa Pacific University. Welcome to the show, Dr. Dallas Stout. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. Well, let's, let's just first give listeners, I know that mine on Ask a Leader, where I usually host the show, that they I've heard from the Brady campaign a couple of times, but let's introduce you, uh, have you introduced the local chapter of the Brady uh, campaign, how the chapter has responded and continues to respond to the local de- and, uh, you know, national developments, and how you engaged the residents to activate with respect to those developments. Okay, well, let me say first, the mission of the Brady Campaign uh, to prevent gun violence is devoted to creating an America free from gun violence. That's really our goal, where all Americans are safe at home, at school, at work, 
in, in our communities. And as you mentioned, we do have 25 chapters in our state. Um, the Orange County one is in a unique position because our county is, uh, has some unique thinkers at the political level about uh, guns and, and gun violence. Uh, but what we try to do is uh, provide a voice and a place for people that are concerned about the gun violence epidemic and public health threat that we're facing on a daily basis to um, have an organized voice to, to be able to interact with their politicians and, and get that voice heard on a higher level. Um, we, we do meet occasionally to help educate folks and inspire folks and uh, teach them how to do this work. And, you know, a lot of people want to get involved, and their first question is always, what can we do? And so, we, you know, we do meet from time to time to organize a protest or a speaker event or that kind of thing to give people something to do. At last count, I remember, I believe, was in, let's see, this is March, I, that I recall, I, I was actually happy to be there, too, at the uh, Congregational Church in, um, in Irvine yes. that was ringing the bells for each and every one of the victims of the Newtown, Connecticut, uh, victims of the massacre. Right. So, uh, and you do other things. You like to sort of remind legislators that uh, somebody's trying to call, and I can only let that listener know I can't pick up the phone now. I've got my mic live, and I don't have an engineer to, to screen and all that. So if okay. that person can wait when we're done, when I'm off the show, I've got a music break, they might call me back. Right. Uh, so anyway. Uh, yeah, we're, we're concerned, obviously, about mass shootings, but the reality is we have the equivalent of a mass shooting every day in America. 32 people, on average, are shot and killed every single day in America, including uh, somewhere between six and eight little children. So um, people tend to get upset when these big mass shootings happen. A lot of us in the Brady campaign are upset every day. And that's what you're keeping track of. And you keep track of legislative uh, initiatives, legislative opportunities, and you were involved very much with what the governor eventually signed. He, he signed about three-fifths of the laws, the I've, gun laws. I've met with our governor, yeah. He, we have a, a voice in his ear, and we talked to him about all of the gun-related issues, and uh, he, he did sign uh, many of them last year. You know, he kind of picked the low-hanging fruit and signed the easy ones. There were, he, he didn't sign them all, and we didn't expect him to sign them all, but so, well, let's say from that, and I, I mean that would have been a show in of itself. Is what let's yes. let's lift up the the lift up the uh, the scallop there and scalp and find out what was going on in the, that uh, gubernatorial brain. But that because uh, a lot of us were wondering about some of these we thought might have been fiscally uh, sound <laughs> and and had a, a, a real impact. But uh, right. what we'll do today is. Uh, uh, primarily because this is a, the real people of Orange County. Where it's, the theme is a very local-centered one. Let's um, go now to the Peruta v. San Diego. It was the federal court case striking down San Diego's policy that limited the carrying of loaded hidden handguns in public. There was a clause about it, about people showing that they had a, a reasonable need for that. So uh, the Brady chapters have spoken and uh, you uh, want to, um, you've been involved with what Orange County has, uh, how it's reacted in, the, in view of that. Because the, in, the, in terms of the law hasn't changed. That's correct. It's that the San Diego County has not appealed the ruling. So even for them, though, it's still stayed. So for as far it as all... because the Attorney General did appeal. She did appeal. And so pending that uh, the next judicial review, then all the other counties, however, there has been no law 
for concealed weapon uh, administration of those uh, local laws in any of the other counties. But well, there's been no change. That's what's most perplexing. Yes. Um, you know, in, in California, we do have concealed weapons permits. They are legal. There is a process you have to go through to get them. And we believe that, that the authority to uh, rule on that process should be at the local level. So local police chiefs and local sheriffs in the state of California have the right to decide what good cause means. In, in California, the law says you can get a concealed weapons permit if you can establish that you have good cause. And we believe uh, that local, local rule is best, and so for a long, long time the rule has been that if your county sheriff or police chief of the larger cities uh, rules that you have good cause, you can have the gun. However, and what was called into question there was the Peruta case uh, called that right into question, and then it was stayed. And uh, our sheriff here in Orange County, for reasons which is totally beyond any of us, decided to uh, go ahead and take that ruling as a final law and decide that she's going to start issuing concealed carry weapons permits to, to basically anybody that says, I'm afraid and I need a gun. So... Um, there, I don't know who's got her back. She's uh, she's up for a re-election in which year? In, it's soon. It's in. The, in but you know, she's. It was. Uh, there's. There's not really any uh, buddy running against her. I mean, it's not even a contested election. If if it were a contested election, her behavior might make sense. Um, but there's there's just no rational reason those of us that volunteer in this violence prevention field can come to any conclusion as to why she would have done that. Even more strange is the fact that she's kind of hiding behind this Peruta case in making this change because she had the authority to make the change all along. She could have said two years ago, listen, folks, I changed my mind. We're going to give gun permits to anybody that wants one. She had that authority all along. So do you understand that maybe she was watching this case and once the ruling came out, she was ready to change policy? Uh, anything is possible. Anything is I'm possible. very disappointed with her behavior, though. Well, and listen, listen to Doctor Stout, everybody. Yeah, this is not a veins and his teeth kind of guy. He's 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 talking about policy that's got amazing impact here. So what? Uh, what? Let me get back to this. So her reaction then and has resulted in a real uptick. I think Orange County is setting records on issuing permits for concealed weapons. Is that right? Well, they've, they've accept, they're, what they're doing right now is they're accepting applications. And, and normally, I think the paper this morning said normally there'd be like 400, and they've gotten some, well over 2,000 applications. Uh, she doesn't even have the employees to process them all, so she's gone to the Board of Supervisors right. and asked for more money to hire people to process them. Well, that's $1.5 million that's not going somewhere else. Yeah. So that's a yeah. fiscal impact besides a public health comp, uh, impact. And, and I should add that the, low, you know, the Brady campaign here in California was not the only group uh, pushing for uh, the uh, Ninth Circuit Court to reconsider this decision. The California Chiefs, uh, California Police Officers Association filed support, the National Law Enforcement Partnership to Prevent Gun Violence, um, you know, lots of other groups have come up and said, this is bad policy. You know, the research is pretty clear. When you increase the number of guns in any situation, you increase the number of shootings. All we need to do is look to Florida as an example of that. Yeah, we certainly Texas. can. Texas. Exactly, exactly. Well, um, and, and there, you're not, there isn't any kind of rationale that's being bandied about there. I mean, well, I mean, 
she, uh, her, the, the people that speak for the sheriff are saying, this is the law, I'm just following the law. But that's, you know, as, as our vice president would say, that's hogwash. The law has stated all along that she could have done this two years ago. She could have done this on her first day in office. She's always had the authority to decide what good cause is. So for her to say now, well, this court case came about, it is the reason why I'm doing it. It's just, it's, it, it rings strange to a lot of people. Okay. It's also very premature, you know, because this right. court case, the Ninth Circuit Court is one of the most overturned courts in the nation, but it's, it's, it's not permanent because it, you know, uh, as soon as they state it, uh, it's not law yet. So she's kind of out there ahead of every other law enforcement officer in the entire state by accepting these applications. And, you know, in her defense, her people are saying, well, if it, if it gets overturned, then we'll take them back. We'll take the gun permits back. But well, that's just messy. It doesn't. Well, and it's a it, waste of tax dollars. It, yes, and I guess bef- instead of saving it for the end of the interview, then we can give. It's still not too late to to send our letters to the county board of supervisors and or the the sheriff's office. Absolutely. So uh, you can call. I've got the number for Sheriff Hudgens' uh, office. It's at area code seven one four six four seven seven thousand. And uh, I'm, I'll give later lots of websites, or, or uh, Dallas Stout can give them, where you can also plug in there, where there's templates to uh, use as the the kind of language that uh, <laughs> ring their bells, as it were. So um, for those of you who've just joined us, my guest in at the Real People of Orange County is Dallas Stout. He is the president of the statewide California chapter of the Brady Prevention Campaign. Uh, for prevention of gun violence. We're talking, first of all, about what's happened since the San Diego federal court case struck down the um, provision about reasonable uh, explanation for your getting your concealed weapon permit. Right. Uh, and I, I'll remember when I, I actually, I lived, just to tell you a little, little something here's not so local. When I used to live in Florida, I lived in there for a stretch I was there at the time when concealed weapon permits were first issued. It was like 1980, I want to say 86 or something mm-hmm. like that. And I remember I, it was a cringer. And it's escalation of this has uh, certainly picked up from there. It's um, Well, yeah, the research clearly shows that the states that have more guns in the hands of people and looser laws have a higher firearm mortality rate than anywhere else. I mean, it's just... It makes perfect sense. The answer to a gun problem is not more guns, in spite of what the NRA wants us to think. Well, right. They, they get so much lip service. We don't even have to give more until we do at the end, if we have a little chance to do that. <laughs> so um, so that's, that's problem A. And then we have a... Um, I don't know if you wanted to address a little bit more about what's going with that, that locally. Um, I don't know what else to say. I mean, she's just kind of out in front of the pack doing something, blaming it on the court case that she could have done all along. It's just kind of perplexing and, and very disappointing. Okay, so there's there's lots for people to, to um, lots of a window and opportunity still. But I, I, I'm concerned, like you, as you said, once the permits are issued, uh, there's gun sales, there's all kinds of, the, of, of um, horses out of the barn. So it's, uh, it's beginning to escalate the whole the the role of the uh, the, uh, the ownership of of guns uh, the number yeah. of guns available and, and, so and of course some people say we don't really know what will happen but we sure can look to places like Arizona and Texas and Florida that have done this before us and it's just like a shooting zone yes so i mean at the end of the day yeah we really don't know what's going to happen here but we sure know what happened in other places where they've done you know loosened their gun laws um it's just it doesn't bode well for shootings 
Well, and it, it will also complicate some kinds of uh, of uh, rationales to say. To, I mean, to roll it back, there it'll make you have to have a, a stronger burden of proof to reverse some of these things as well. It, I mean, it will it will make everything more complicated. So um, that's something to think about. I'd I'd like to have you, Dallas Doubt, now take up the the matter of Facebook which is uh, moving out of its infancy as a, a publicly uh, traded uh, company now and a, as an Internet uh, business. It's been criticized for facilitating an Internet marketplace for guns. They've, um, they've made some adjustments, but I, I'd like you to first talk about what, what are the perils of a social network in, uh, in being a, a gun sale forum. Well, we, we, you know, we have to realize that uh, roughly 40% of all of the guns sold in America do not require any kind of background check under the Brady Law. And uh, that's really interesting because our elected representatives in Congress in Washington, D.C., refused to change that law, even though more than 90% of Americans support expanding background checks to every firearm purchase. Wow. So really, anywhere you have these guns that are being sold or traded off the record, it's problematic. And if you're facilitating it to make it even easier, it's really problematic. I want to know who's buying guns. I want to know who's selling guns. I want to know how many they bought. You know, I mean, there's lots of things that we could do to help law enforcement solve this public health threat that we're facing in the gun problem. Right. And it, it is, it's so casual how... Uh, someone can present an opportunity on the social network and there as you said there's no accountability there's no there's no documentation there's nothing it's just and and it's a, a slate of hand and we've got we have a transaction nobody has a clue about and and here's the ultimate irony facebook prohibits paid gun ads but they're not prohibiting individual posts selling guns so they're not even consistent with their own policy i don't understand yeah so uh, no. yeah we're you know some people were saying this new Facebook rule was a victory. The Brady campaign is saying it's not a victory. What they said is that uh, you know a, a mere warning to follow the law and a community based reporting system are not enough deterrent to prevent an unlicensed gun seller from selling guns on Facebook or any social network right you know, any. That, that's just not enough, so we know it's only a matter of time before a gun purchased on Facebook is used in some horrific tragedy. And uh, once again, when that happens, we'll be talking about everything but the gun. Right. Folks, you're going to hear that refrain, I think, a time or two more. So yep. uh, it, it's, it occurs to me that the, um, the uh, Mothers Demand, I'm trying to get that organization there. The, um, mothers the, Against Gun Moms violence. Demand, uh, right. Moms Demand Action. Moms Demand Action and the Mayor's uh, ca Campaign Against Violence, that uh, they seem to be appeased by the provisions that, and I, I could enumerate some of those provisions, I'm not sure if you wanted to do that, um, but uh, why, why do you think they are, are uh, more satisfied with the concessions than the Brady campaign is? Uh, I, I can't, you know, you'd, you'd have to have their leadership on to talk about that. All I can say is the Brady campaign believes it's not a victory. We don't believe that, uh, 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 that a community-based reporting system is enough to uh, prevent people from doing things that they shouldn't be doing. So it's, I guess what Facebook has tried to do is say that outwardly we're not allowing it, but the, there, I, I don't even know if there's a way that you could. If you could negotiate, let's say the Brady campaign board members in each, from each of the states, 
were you able to negotiate with the policymakers with Facebook? What, what would you ask for, Dallas? We would like Facebook to be consistent. So if they're going to prohibit paid gun ads, they should prohibit all gun ads. Okay. We, we don't think Facebook, where children are playing around, and it's just not a place for the buying and selling of guns. Well, it's, I think, a fluid arrangement, uh, the policy making. I, I, is, is the Brady campaign involved still in advocating a, a little more tightening of the, the format on Facebook? Absolutely. You still are. You are currently. As well as uh, Instagram, they're also involved in this. Uh, the, the Brady campaign will continue to advocate for tighter controls on uh, gun sales until our wonderful Congress in D.C. grows the background to close the loophole, which is, again, what more than 90% of Americans want. The background, the backbone, both. The back, when I'm asking them to grow a backbone right. and uh, close the loophole. Well, so we want background checks on 100% of guns. 100% of gun sales, we want background checks on. Right. Yeah, we didn't get very... We, we had our moment, and it, it was... Uh, it was really a raw deal when uh, not enough happened when uh, in last spring, and that's and I want to bring to that. Well, I, I remind listeners, you're listening to Real People of Orange County. Kimberly Martin is, I think, on her own spring break. Uh, I'm Claudia Shamba, covering for her today. My guest is Dallas Stout. He's the president of the California chapter of the Brady Campaign for Prevention of Gun Violence. He is also a clinical psychologist plugged into all kinds of tremendous public health uh, uh, programs, policy making, and advocacy. So I'm so glad that he's on the show with us today. So I guess the the last uh, segment here we can address is the Obama administration has nominated Dr. Murdy as the Surgeon General for the United States, and the surgeon, this nominee, has been involved with making some public health uh, pitches about the connection between gun violence and public health, and that is in very much in the mainstream of p- national public opinion, and in the midst of the nomination process. The National Rifle Association has interjected once again their influence, looking for where they think they have close Senate races, and they are now uh, in the. I mean, I want you to talk, unpackage what you remember the influence that the NRA has had in pronouncing how little the Center for Disease Control could have in studying the effect of gun violence on public health. Does this connect? Do you? Well, See they, the they're the ones that the pushed two. Congress into kind of gutting the research years ago, and of course it's coming back under Obama's signature. We're starting to see more research happening again. It um, is happening. There's movement you know, you, there. You have to remember that the NRA is, are the paid salespeople for the gun industry in our country. The NRA has to scare people to buy more guns to keep their industry happy. They're not a membership organization anymore. They're just the marketing arm of the gun industry. And so everything, they oppose research because research is going to reduce gun sales. So that's they oppose doctors, you know, uh, the truth is Dr. Murdy's a leader with impeccable medical credentials, and he's supported by more than 35 public health organizations. So here comes the NRA. They think they know more about public health than the leading health organizations in the country, including the American Academy of Pediatrics. And, uh, you know, as far as what Brady thinks, I would say 
Unlike the NRA, we believe doctors should educate their patients on health risks, including guns in the home, just like the majority of health professionals believe. We're not opposed at all. We support, the Brady campaign fully supports Dr. Murdy's nomination. So, and, and, you know, we've seen these tactics before. People that have been around, the tobacco industry did it when they didn't want Congress meddling in their deadly product. The alcohol industry has done it when they didn't want Congress meddling in their product. So this, this is not a new thing for the NRA to be doing, but it's just a pain in the neck, and it's troubling. It, it is very troubling. So, um, and, he, he, and I really want to emphasize that Dr. Murdy is right where the American sensibilities are, but it's... It's that undue influence that the manufacturer of guns have in the NRA trying to uh, frame. It's, it's, it's they've, they've been very involved with uh, sensationalizing what Dr. Murdy's pretty, I mean, they're pretty pedestrian kinds of policy decisions and dispositions. Yeah. And, and you have to think about what they're saying. They're, they're essentially saying that medical doctors can talk to their clients about anything they want except for a gun in the home. And that's just absurd. Exactly. That's absurd. To say doctors can't talk about anything is absurd. So I just what they're doing doesn't make rational sense, but if you think about their role in society, they're paid salesmen for guns. So, you know, anything that's rational or, 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 or speaks to reducing gun violence, which means reducing gun availability, um, they're going to be against. That's right. <laughs> I, I'm so pleased. I, I know that you have, as I've talked about, all the things that you're plugged into. I, what, I'm just curious as we let you go, Dr. Dallas Stout. So what, what's on your plate for the rest of the day with all these things that we're talking about that you're involved with? What are you going to do the rest now? When I leave here, I'm running to a local church to... Actually, I'm running to pick up my daughter and taking her to a local church for a Relief Society uh, a, a social uh, women's club group that I'm helping to do technology with and after that, I'll be back home grading papers for the university and getting ready for tomorrow. So that everybody understands that you've take, given us a premium of your time to talk about this. This is one line of many kinds of advocacy, and you can see where the public health is going when it's not being uh, fully considered with these kinds of hazards that are codified in state and local state and national laws. So I, I very much appreciate your giving us the time to be on the show today. Thank you, Dr. Dallas Thanks a lot. Sure thing. Thanks, everybody, for joining me. We're going to be back with a host of people. We're going to be back with Heidi Campbell, Loretta Kimberly, Jeff Blund, and we're going to talk about how the complexities uh, that, that were pondered in the recent interview with Peter Lanza, Adam Lanza's father. We're going to talk about that in the next episode. Welcome back, everybody, to Real People of Orange County. I'm Claudia Shamba, your host today, taking Kimberly's place. I believe she's on spring break. She'll be back next week. I'm usually a host of Ask a Leader on Tuesday mornings, 9 till 10. That said, we're going to start the rest of this show. We are going to roll, folks. Welcome back. Last week, New Yorker columnist Andrew Solomon had a series of 
open book conversations with Peter Lanza, father of Adam Lanza, the young man responsible for 28 deaths in Newtown, Connecticut, December 2012. The ensuing publication of and interviews with uh, Peter Lanza have struck a chord, struck a lot of nerves on a good many levels. We are fortunate to have Heidi Campbell, Loretta Kimberly, and Jeff Lund bring their considered reflections and experience to a discussion on this program. Heidi Campbell, my first guest, returns to KUCI after having been my guest several times on Ask a Leader. She's a Chapman University graduate. She has won a couple awards in excellence in teaching in the Newport Beach area. She's the mother of now seven-year-old triplets, one of whom is moderately autistic. She spoke previously as the founder of Innovative Teaching Technology for Autism, which supports autistic children in the public schools and in the hospital setting, and now collaborates uh, with the Get Safe Self-Defense Organization that teaches young people skills and awareness techniques to help them navigate through life out there. We also have on the show with us Loretta Kimberly, who has a medical background. She's been trained at Long Beach State, and also she works at Get Safe. Largely as a single mother, she's raised a 24-year-old son with autistic spectral disorder, as well as a 29-year-old son and a 20-year-old, 2-year-old daughter. Finally, we have clinical psychologist Jeff Lund, who is co-proprietor with his wife, Lund Advocacy and Behavioral Sciences. He received his M.A. in clinical psychology at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology and is working toward his doctorate in psychology at the California Southern University. He is a part-time counselor at the Westminster Unified School District and is in the process of bringing his advocacy and behavioral science services to Irvine. We'll give you more information about that later. Peter or Jeff Lund has sons the age of 11 and 9. I want to welcome everybody to the show. Thank you, Claudia, for Thank having you, Claudia. us. Thank you. Okay, that was that was Jeff, that, that was Heidi, and Loretta, <laughs> and Jeff in that order. Well, let's start. I'm not sure everybody's had a chance to hear Andrew Solomon talk with Terry Gross's Fresh Air um, in that interview last week, or look at the New Yorker article that was published uh, the, with the date of March 17th. It's online, but it's uh, the printed copy is just barely out. I'd like to start with whoever wants to start, join in here. What struck you in what Peter Lanza had to say about some of Adam's features? Uh, now, we, we saw, the first time I even heard about this was when uh, we saw that uh, absolute line, I wish my son had never been born. But I want to walk back that whole absolutist, black and white, distorted comment to back to what Peter Lanza had to say about some of Adam's features, Adam's visual learning, Adam's sensory integration issues, the way in which each parent had to accommodate him. Maybe Heidi um, can start uh, the discussion. Well, I think what struck me the most uh, when I heard the interview and upon reading it and reviewing it was they were so relieved to receive a diagnosis when around the age of 13 and 14. He talked about Adam being di diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome at age 13 and later on with OCD at age 14. But when he was younger, he was diagnosed because they really were parent responsible parents about this. They were really trying to help they their child. It. They were on it. And as a small child, he was diagnosed with uh, sensory integration disorder. So for that to evolve at age 13 to receive the Asperger's diagnosis 
which I find interesting because Peter Lanza also talked about how much Adam struggled during those junior high years with being at school. He struggled with transitioning between classes. He struggled with the noise in the hallway. And so uh, some of the experts or an expert, if I'm remembering this correctly, said, you know, homeschooling is an option. And it was Adam Lenz's mother that actually did pull him out of that environment. And he was he was homeschooled at that point. And to to put a detail in there, for her homeschooling meant accommodating his sensory integration issues with copying every uh, text item, copying it so that it became a black and white uh, text to work from. Right. Solomon talked about how Adam struggled with the graphics in his textbooks. That It it did bother his, visually it bothered his sensory integration and she would photocopy it so it was black and white and easier for him to read. Among other things. I don't know if if Loretta wanted to jump in or jump in with some of this too. You know, I can kind of answer from a parental perspective, especially uh, of having a 24-year-old. When I, after I read the article, my initial sadness, other than the original tragedy, was I felt completely sad for the parents because I've been there where you have multiple things coming at you. You have diagnoses, you have social issues, and at the end of the day, you're just trying to get through and take care of your child with basic needs of feeding and stuff like that. So I was so sad for Nancy, the mother, and Peter, the father, because they were struggling between, you know, again, trying to raise a child alone, let alone raise a child with some odd needs, and reaching out to a, a, a medical community that is just throwing diagnoses or treatments at them without any tools um, of how to implement it. I have um, to agree with that, absolutely. Uh, the level of social support that's available for parents who are, you know, that have children with uh, Asperger's or autism, now we call it, it's all under ASD, um, is really disorder. lacking. Yes. It, it really is. Uh, I've given um, talks for uh, Orange County Camp to, uh, actually pretty recently, and my main, one of my main topics was to really drive home what these parents are experiencing. And it's, it's pretty traumatic for them, especially getting the first diagnosis, and then uh, money starts to dwindle as you pay for things, and you isolate at home because you're afraid of what your child's going to be doing out in public. I mean, it just it gets to be a very, uh, a very large burden. Yeah, you, you, you start um, reaching. I mean, you're just trying to get through the day. So, you know, yeah. what you're doing is putting, you know, Band-Aids on a, um, you know, on a fracture. Yeah, and, the, yeah, and you know, based on, Claudia, based on your question, my initial reaction, I answered honestly, but my initial reaction to this interview was when he stated that the autism masked whatever else was going on with him. Which That's, clearly was a great deal. Right, because, it, you know, it's so, we're so grateful to you to be on here because autism, ASD diagnosis, did not cause what happened that day at Sandy Hook. And that's so critical for everyone to hear. Um, but your initial question and my reaction to that is that struck me in that way. But the overall tone of, you know, this interview the was lesson and take away. the lesson and the takeaway was autism didn't cause this. You know, we're dealing with bigger pieces here. And that this, you know, this was a complex situation, family dynamic, complex individual. And, and they didn't even know how complex 
So, I mean, how fully exactly. complex until it was way too late. Exactly. So, you know, there, there's there's a lot here. Um, I know for me, my my wanting to be on the show and to discuss this was because, you know, when this occurred and listening to the reporters saying autism within three words of, you know, mental disorder, you know, a, a mental diagnosis just was driving me crazy listening to it because, you know, by nature, any 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 individual with ASD is not violent. And people need to really understand that, that, that there was something deeper at a deeper level going on here. Um, so I think, you know, that's also something for us to discuss. I think it's also very interesting to discuss that, you know, even President Obama has started this brain initiative, you know, April 2nd of 2013. They're starting to put $100 million of public-private money toward mapping the brain and to look at that. And part of my my concern with that is even the gentleman, Dr. F- um, Collins, who's in charge of this. Francis y- Collins with the yeah, National Institutes yeah, of Health. Exactly, with NIH. Even he, within his explanation of what they're going to do, calls autism a disease. He, he says it right there in the, you know, we can quote him. And, and to me, that just sends the nation such a wrong message about autism. And, and uh, you know, that's been something I've been very passionate about is helping the community understand that, um, Autism is not a disease. ASD is not a disease. And even though Adam Lanza had a diagnosis of Asperger's, that is not what caused him to make the decision to do this. So it's so much more complex than that that I'm sure that, you know, Loretta and Jeff can comment on also. It is. It, it's very complex. And, and you're right, because there's no, there's no real research out there that's going to draw a direct connection between this kind of violence and uh, Asperger's. Right. Um, it's just not there. So we need to look at other things. And as far as uh, labeling, you know, I mean, when you're going to go ahead and code or you're going to go ahead and diagnose, uh, you know, majority of people, you know, they're going to grab the DSM-5 now, and it's, a, it's considered a disorder. Um, by calling it a disease, we're giving really the wrong information. And reading through this, this article, I think that's a really important part of all of this is, is uh, the labeling and the, the proper words and what words were used and how people resonate with that language and where it takes their mind. And simple words like that can have a, can have a major impact. Yes, for those of you who've joined us here on Real People of Orange County, I have the, the real pleasure of having so many people with so much to contribute in all of the work experience that they've done uh, around the community and beyond. Uh, my guests are Heidi Campbell, founder of Innovative Teaching Technology for Autism, Loretta Kimberly with Get Safe, and clinical psychologist Jeff Lund as we talk about the complexities of rearing a child on the autistic spectrum in view of the Adam Lanza case. Uh, so um, I'm not sure if you were midway, Jeff. Oh, um, yes, and let me just make a quick correction there. I'm sorry to, to do this. Um, I'm actually not a clinical psychologist yet. I'm right in the middle, about halfway through, working on my doctorate. Um, hopefully here in the next year I will be able to have that, uh, that wonderful title, and I look forward to it, oh, but okay. I, I just wanted to make that correction. Um, I just was saying that uh, labeling and uh, uh, improper use of uh, the media, I think, is, uh, it can be a very dangerous force when we have something like this, and it can really drive people to get the wrong impression about what Asperger's or, of course, then they're going to make the jump right to ASD, uh, what, what that is and what it's all about. Just and for it, audiences. It's important for to, the, sorry. To, cut them, you know, to cut that off you know, and right. to correct that misperception. 
when people hear ASD, I just want them to be clear on autistic spectral disorder. So it's a, it's not confused right. with autism something else. Sometimes disorder. I'm sorry. No, that's, that's no, that's right. fine. And OCD, we know, is obsessive compulsive disorder, which uh, was mentioned in terms of uh, one of the uh, features of uh, Adam Lanza's uh, uh, situation there. So, um, well, I think an, another part of this whole saga here, if I can call it that, uh, guardedly here, advisedly, is that this article. And for people who haven't been involved in, in the, involved in the parental roles and responsibilities, is that it, it mapped in this article how there was a, a, a jump, a bump in the road for Adam Lanza when he hit puberty. It becomes enormously more complicated in, in addressing the kinds of needs. And uh, in fact, I think I understand that one can s- simply slide down the continuum on the autistic spectrum once in that at the advent of entering into puberty. And so uh, it's my understanding that resources, assistance, the literature, everything starts to drop off once uh, we're addressing adolescents on the spectrum's needs. What I think maybe all three of you have something to to address about that. Uh, well, actually, uh, Heidi has a seven-year-old, so uh, this is for her too. But um, <laughs> L- Loretta now having uh, one, um, a twenty-four-year-old uh, on the autistic spectrum, uh, can talk about where you were getting help and how things changed and became you more know, complicated. You know what? I, I absolutely can ring in on this subject because I can tell you both from a um, physical change that takes part in your your child, you are dealing with, you know, a social change. They're bigger now. You know, they, they, they can't go into a women's restroom with me as a single mother anymore. So you have all of these conflicts coming at you at adolescence besides a kind of disconnect from the medical community. It's like, you know, they, they no longer fit in the child's dental chair. So, you know, go see an adult dentist who now ha- your child, you know, has to um, reacquaint with. Or the neurologist who is only a pediatric neurologist who's been, you know, treating him. And then you throw in the um, organic changes. You know, you, you have a high incident of seizure disorders that come into play. All of this falls to a parent. It's like the child that you knew for the past 13 years is is somebody new and different, and there's so few resources. And for people to to kind of give you a heads up, I I know that people reach out to me who have three, four, five-year-olds because they want to know what's to come. Well, and And, yes, go ahead. Yeah, and, and so for me, I had to kind of, you know, reach out and just kind of feel my way through a dark cloud, and, and I'm aggressive. I, I will reach out there for help, but so many people kind of isolate themselves and don't know to, to reach out and get answers, so they do what they know best, which is to protect your child, isolate them, which in the long run, as with that article, yes. that's exactly what the problem was. She became extremely isolated. I think that's generally known, but Peter Lanza is really open book, and he talks about... How how isolated that she became, and she Absolutely. started to misrepresent even to him. They used they had for a while some very open emails, and then they they stopped being so open, and uh, she's sort of covering because I think she yeah. felt so invested in presenting him as somehow being more successful in um, it, with the kinds of interventions and accommodations she was offering him. You know, with Nancy being gone now, who who can't speak for herself, but there's also, and I can kind of feel for her, maybe not so much masking it, but just not knowing what to do. You want your child to be happy, bottom line. Well, in you know, isolation, so how in can she know? In doing so and keeping him from the things that were, uh, uh, you know, an irritant to him, she thought she was protecting him. 
But again, that just comes from not being, um, you know, able to be open with it, whether it's to your neighbors or, you know, to the doctors or, you know, the gatekeepers, you know, what, you know, is the neurologist talking to the dentist and is the dentist talking to the GP? I mean, we're in this, um, you know, medical community that, that is so disconnected. Or the from each other. educators with and the other community representatives. Absolutely. I'd like to chime in yes, on that uh, just real quick. Uh, I completely agree with that. Uh, really what you're saying is um, everything that the, the research that I've been doing recently um, is, is telling. Um, it's talking about parents withdrawing. It's talking about their depression going up. It's talking about their own obsessive compulsive uh, behaviors increasing. Uh, and, and to that point, we don't know exactly what was going on between mom and Adam. And it's, it's possible that a lot was going on at that time between them um, that might have aggravated the situation, maybe led to it to some degree. Um, not, com- not in total, of course, but to some degree. And uh, I think that that's, that's definitely something that needs to be taken a look at here because it's because she doesn't know what to do. You know, a lot of moms are in this situation. The research is definitive on this, is that they just don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And as the, as the child grows into a young man, that definitely makes it considerably more challenging. And we're tired. Absolutely. I believe oh. you. Yeah. I mean, my, even with, you know, Noah at seven years old, wanting to leave the house it is a battle sometimes he wants to be in his room with his trains and does not want to leave and it is you know i'm, I'm being screamed at it, yeah it, it's it, it yeah it can be exhausting and it can i'm sometimes i feel like it's easier to just stay in and withdraw i can totally relate to what loretta was explaining and also to what jeff was explaining yeah uh in the future um actually one of our uh, missions with our company uh, we're really working to to put to put some change forward, and really want to try and give parents the ability um, to find some resources to get out. Find that uh, mm-hmm. whether it's training, uh, whether it's a little finding some strength or whatnot, or just connecting them with some other parents to make it uh, easier. I think in the long run, it's going to uh, contribute to considerable amount of good. We know the regional center is there, but it's a you've got to hit a pretty high threshold for. Um, a very small amount of re- uh, respite that you can get for them to help out there. So it's um, that's that's a, a small part, and that's it's great, Jeff, that you're you're working on providing a, a, a broader range and depth of uh, of accommodation and services support uh, for family members. Absolutely, and the idea is, is that it shouldn't be uh, it shouldn't break your wallet. You know, well, that's what we're mm-hmm. talking about is mm-hmm. uh, encouraging people to form groups of their own. Um, starting sort of where we're at and then encouraging them to move forward to connect. We have wonderful ability to connect on the Internet now. Uh, we have the ability to uh, do video conferencing. I mean, all of these are, th- are examples of getting connected with other people, getting rid of the stigma, getting rid of that feeling that I'm, I'm without hope and that nothing's going to change, and really connecting and letting other people know how you feel and what's going on in your life. Uh, when you experience that, you Things can blossom. You can start looking at uh, your situation as, uh, as an opportunity to just become an exceptional person. Right. I mean, it seems as though she's just, she really lost a lot of perspective. And I, I think at one point, um, she had been separated from her husband, and she didn't realize the extent to which she was accommodating Adam. And he mentioned about their hiking, Adam, Adam and Peter hiking, and she looked up and she said, you mean, you 
he tied his own shoe. So it's sort of like the parents had a different way of going about that. And actually, I want to take that point and say to something Heidi had talked to me about as we're preparing for this interview is now uh, Noah has parents that live in two separate households, if I if I may say that. And (laughs) and so uh, Heidi is aware of a, a protocol she would like to adhere to because of understanding features of of Noah's abilities, capacities, and his shortcomings. And she's trying to do the most for Noah, but the other half of the visitation is with a father who's maybe not signed on to the same kind of program. And that can be pretty insidious, invidious. Well, I, I believe strongly, and I've said it several, several times, that, you know, when you... When you have a child who uh, is diagnosed with ASD that, um, you know, it's a fight or flight response to some degree. And you grow as, a, as an individual. You grow, you, you grow mentally, emotionally, uh, because you have no choice. And so in my situation, you know, I... You didn't Regardless, know you'd have this project. You no, no, I didn't know I, had, I would have this project and, and so many projects. And, uh, you know, <laughs> the world's going to learn a lot about me right now. But here we go. Okay, so my growth through all of this is I want what's what Loretta said. You want your child to be happy. You want what's best for your child. And so a huge part of that is the importance of the communication with that other household, the importance that we're on the same page, the importance that we're working as a team. And for me, that means forgiveness. That means really rolling up my sleeves. And this isn't about me. This is about the benefit of our family as a unit. And it's now two families because we're in two different households. So that, you know, I'm because of my work, you know, with with ASD education, I know for me, I'm very careful what Noah watches. I'm very careful what he's exposed to because I know he's a very high visual learner. He probably notices in more detail about things he sees than I do. So that's very important to me. But also the communication with everybody on board and, f- and just for me, filling him up with goodness and love. And uh, he can sense in my tone of voice if I get upset. I mean, well, let's yeah. uh, let me just back you up. You were talking about he's a visual learner. That if if he gets us a diet of something that he's acutely uh, learning visually, then th- combine that with his uh, lessened ability to distinguish between real and fantasy, uh, an, a fantasized kind of cartoonish version of some sort of a thing that well, you, you've got to be careful. with. Yeah, that. I don't know as a professional, I can comment on the difference between um, you know, virtual world applied to reality. What I can comment on is I know that he learns best. I mean, at the beginning of all this was observational learning, you know, in the 1960s with Dr. Albert uh, ben- Bender, I believe is his name, where they did the the observational learning. And it's basically children did what they observed. And and that is the premise of kind of what I'm promoting in ASD education with the video modeling, the use of technology to hold the child's attention. They, you know, they learn so well through the visual example. Um, that's what I mean by that is that I'm very careful what he takes in because I know he's going to replicate that. Now, he's seven years old. So that to me is is my mission. But getting back to the family unit and yes. making sure we're communicating, we're on the same page, because I have experienced about what, what um, was talked about earlier is that he may do one thing for me and not for dad and vice versa. He can, I'm like, wow, I had no idea he did that, but he'll do it at dad's house. So that's kind of my long answer with all of that. 
Yes. You know, um, Heidi, um, this is I, 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 just a takeoff on that is that's where we look to professionals like Dr. Lund. You know what? They can be our um, our go-to that each parent can go to. So they, cause sometimes you need those outside sources, you know, mm-hmm. to say this is best for this child. Yes. And maybe not coming from, you know, um, we're all emotionally involved, you know, having a doctor or a clinician be kind of an outside source that is just as familiar with your child as you are can kind of step in and be that, that person that, you know, puts everybody on the same page. Well, thank you for that. Um, just to add to that, I would agree is that, um, especially as we talk about uh, uh, Peter Lanza's article and his son, and uh, that's exactly what's missing is, is we don't have enough perspective. Uh, parents don't have that perspective. They lose the perspective. Right. And being able to get perspective and just being able to sit down with somebody and ask them, is it wrong for my child with ASD to be watching television? Or should they be playing video games? What's appropriate? What's or not? Something, they'll surf the Internet, and they'll find 500 different answers that all contradict each other. Yes. You know, being able to just have access to somebody, uh, you know, who you trust and who you feel is uh, reputable and uh, that you can work with. That's huge. It's really huge. And there's a lot more to say, and as we wrap that up, and it becomes increasingly complicated as you're adjusting through these developmental phases and independence is raging, oppositional Ah. behaviors and that kind of thing. Well, I have to close this. I want to mention there's three sources I want to send people to, and then we're going to have to wrap it. I know Matt Kaplan has a great show next uh, after us. Jeff Lund, as I said, he's going to be opening up his practice in Irvine. Labsforyouth.org is one website to get to. Uh, GetSafeUSA.com and ITT Autism is another website for more resources. There's plenty more, but I want to thank all of you for joining me. Heidi Campbell, founder of Innovative Teaching Technology for Autism, Loretta Kimberly with Get Safe, and Jeff Lund with Labs for Youth and the um, Advocating and uh, Behavioral Services. Thank you all for being on the show today. Thank you, Claudia. Thank you, Claudia. Thank you. Kimberly Martin will be back uh, next week. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Deep